As I mentioned a little earlier, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 90, Psalm 90, the inspired superscription of Psalm 90 says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Some commentators think that Psalm 90 and possibly even Psalm 91 and Psalm 92 are from Moses because of so many literary, linguistic, and thematic links, connections with those three psalms. You'll also notice that it says book four. There are actually five groupings of psalms, and this particular psalm, Psalm 90, begins the fourth group of psalms, and so they call it book four. This is a message that I've been wanting to give for some time, and as we come to a place of ending our year, this is perfect, because Psalm 90 instructs us to number our days. And we're thinking a lot about time these days, aren't we? In fact, if I could um, subtitle the message this morning, it might be something like this. It's time. It's time. And I want to give you three ways in which it is time. But before I do, I want to remind you that this particular new year This New Year's Eve, which of course only rolls around, I suppose, every seven years or so, except for leap year, where we would have a New Year's Eve service on the Lord's Day. Which means, of course, that by the time this service comes to a close and we have the reception, that it will be a scant 12 hours until 2018. And because of that, there are a lot of people, myself included, who are asking questions about the new year. What will the new year hold? What will the Lord do for us in 2018? What will the Lord do for us as a family? What will the Lord do for us as a church family? What about goals? Everybody seems to want to start out with new goals on January 1st. So many people want new goals like weight loss. Some might have goals like weight gain. Some people have goals of reading through the Bible in a year, beginning on January 1st. Some people would like to read their Bible at all. In 2018, some people want family goals to be accomplished. Some people want personal or professional goals to be reached. Whatever these New Year resolutions are, whatever these aims, whatever these desires, what we're really talking about when we we merge into a new year has to be related somehow to time, right? It's time. People can talk about priorities. They can talk about plans. They can talk about perspectives. They can talk about goals. They can speak of aspirations. We want a new year to start off very well. Isn't that true? We want things to go rightly. We have desires to see 2018 be better than 2017. Some of us may have had some very painful memories of some things in 2017. Some of us may be going through health challenges. Some of us may be going through financial difficulty. Some of us simply want to survive 2018. Some of us 
Indeed, I would hope most of us are grateful to the Lord that we have survived 2070. At least, if the next 12 hours hold true. (laughs) Whatever the case, and wherever we're finding ourselves in our own hearts regarding this new year and this new time, the Bible makes it very, very clear to us, particularly, I think, in Psalm 90, that we are to focus on very, very important things, critical things, things that are a priority to us or must be over against many other things. We don't want good things, good goals, great desires to be the enemy of the best. And I think what Moses does here in Psalm 90 is give us the great priorities, even beyond the better ones, even beyond those that could rival on a human level for the best ones, personally, professionally, mentally, emotionally. For in Psalm 90, I think Moses is giving us the three priorities for the spiritual things of life. Now, it doesn't mean that those spiritual things are over against the mental and the emotional and the physical and the material. Not at all. There's an integrated whole to all of those, right? But the bottom line is that the enemy of the best is oftentimes our prioritizing our life on the basis of things that shall pass away. Things that are not as important as the main things. And as has been often said, we are on an all-out relentless pursuit all of our lives to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think that's what Moses is doing in Psalm 90. In fact, this is, as I said, probably a psalm that might very well be the first psalm chronologically, even though it appears in the Psalter as Psalm 90. And that means, of course, that 89 other psalms have gone before it. But, chronologically speaking, if Moses has indeed, in a sense, because of his chronological displacement here, actually being the first, even predating, of course, Psalmists like David and the sons of Korah and Asaph and others. Moses might well be telling us that the gateway to all of the songs of our hearts, including Psalm 90, is to start at the beginning. And it's to have the right priorities from the very outset. And in Psalm 90... If you read it as we did for our scripture reading, and as we'll go through it briefly, I'm not going to do an exposition of it. That'll come on Sunday nights when we get there to Psalm 90, and I trust in God's good grace we will get there. We'll do Psalm 32 uh, a week from tonight, and as we work our way through, Lord willing, we'll get to Psalm 90. We might even get to Psalm 150 before the millennium. If we do we will have worked our way through some of the greatest songs, in fact, the greatest songs in the history of the world. These psalms have been put together and they have background to them. And it may very well be that the background for Moses writing Psalm 90 is this. If indeed... Moses is standing on the brow of the hill overlooking the promised land, if indeed he is giving his people, the Israelites, one last song to sing before they go into the promised land without him. Because you remember, Moses sinned against the Lord. He took away God's glory by doing something to the rock that God had commanded him not to do, or at least to do it differently than he did. 
And so his punishment was that he would lead the children of Israel right to the precipice of the promised land, but that he himself should not enter. It could very well be, and many commentators think so, that Psalm 90 is Moses telling the children of Israel what has gone before and what lies ahead, even if he is not with them. If this is true, as Moses is pinning this song, he's 120 years old. Now we would think, as we consider our lives, and as you do it and so do I, each new year that dawns, we're asking ourselves this question. How much older and more decrepit am I becoming? It could very well be that Moses himself even though the Bible says about him that even at 120 years of age that his vigor was was unabated and his sight, the idea of how they uh, sort of saw a person as they were fading away into death, his eyesight was undimmed. And yet he was 120 years old. Now for you and me, we'd say, that's really old. But in that antediluvian period, in the pre-flood time, or even in the post-flood time, those people lived far longer than we do, right? So 120 is a, is a robust young man. And Moses is seeing the opportunity, as it were, for a couple of songs to be sung. And do you realize that in the latter part of Deuteronomy that there are actually two more songs of Moses. There's one in chapter 33, and there's one in chapter 34, and there's one right here in Psalm 90, which I suspect was a song written in his lifetime and for his people that they thought was so important, so relevant, and mainly timeless and ageless, that they are saying, this needs to go into our very songbook, into the very psalter of the children of Israel, so that time immemorial would be able to showcase the point that Moses is making in this psalm about time. About time. And here's what he says. There are three things about time. And there are three things for us about time. In 2017, as we are now being ushered into 2018, if the Lord wills, the first thing that Moses tells us is that it's time for God. It's time for God. There are a lot of people in our world, and you know them, you work with many of them, you live by some of them, and you are aware of many others through media and whatnot, that there are a lot of people who don't have time for God. They simply don't believe that He's relevant. They simply cannot conceive in their minds about why we do what we do every Sunday of our lives. Why do you go to church? Why do you sit there and listen to that guy drone on and on? You could be doing something else. You could be doing something that you enjoy. Why do you believe it's so important to have time for God? And here's Moses' answer. He speaks about time for God in 11 verses of Psalm 90. And this is what he says. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. You know why I think Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 and Psalm 92 and maybe even so many of the other psalms, but at least these that are grouped together, not by happenstance, but grouped together for a reason, for a purpose, with continuity. Well, because that idea of dwelling place is listed in Psalm 91. Look at verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your 
dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. That idea of refuge, that idea of dwelling place, safety, protection, God is our refuge. Moses says, if he's standing at the brow of the hill, and if the children of Israel are looking to immediately be ushered into the promised land, he says, it's time. It's time for God. And don't forget, children of Israel, don't forget that the Lord has been our refuge, our dwelling place, our protection, our safety in all generations. Or, some of your translations may say, from generation to generation, or generations to generations. And I think maybe that's a good translation, because what Moses is doing, partly in these 11 verses, is to tell us that God has been good to us, He's been faithful to us, He's been our protection, our guide, our refuge, our dwelling place, from generations to generations, and yet He is different than we are. Wholly different. How is that? Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, Moses says to God, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From generations to generations, you've been our dwelling place, and yet you are so high and beyond us that you are from everlasting to everlasting. From generations to generations, that's the human component. That's who God has been for us. But when you think of Him, when you contemplate Him, when you define Him, when He is characterized, He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is eternal. This is an amazing statement about the eternality of God. This is a a contrast that Moses is bringing to us. I mean, he's, he's talking to the children of Israel, but he's telling them, look, as you go into that promised land, I want you to know that your God will still be with you. Now, why might Moses be reminding of, uh, them of this yet again? Because he's not going with them. He, he's been their leader. He, he's been God to them. Right? Isn't, isn't that what God said about Moses? He shall be God to you, Pharaoh. This is what Moses has been. He's been leading these people for over 40 years in the wilderness wanderings. It's like uh, someone who you really like and you really trust and you really believe in, uh, at least as far as human beings go, who might be your president for 40 years. You remember in Isaiah 6, when in the very first verse, it says, in the time or the epic or the season or the year that King Uzziah died. You say, what's so significant about that? Well, first of all, if you were Uzziah, it would be very significant. (laughs) Secondly, he had reigned for many, many, many years, and they prospered. You know, it's something when you have a good leader. It's something when you have stability. It's something when you have someone in which you can say, he's a good man. And now Moses is not going with them. And so he's reminding them about their God. And he's saying something like this, it's time to think about God. We think a lot about time. Oh, there are times when we don't think much about time. But during New Year, we think a lot about time. We think a lot about the New Year. This is a, this is a critical epic in Israelite history. And Moses is saying, I need you to understand that this eternal God, this one from everlasting to everlasting, this one in whom you have seen Him constantly and forever as your dwelling place, as your refuge, I want you to know that your trust must be in Him and Him alone. Right? That's something to think about for the new year, isn't it? That's something to think about. 
It's time. It's time to think about our God who is from everlasting to everlasting. He is our dwelling place. He's so much more than that, but He at least is that. And then Moses takes a turn. And what he does is he tells the Israelites both about himself as a human being and about themselves as human beings. And my friends, when you think about God and when you think about the fact that it's time to think about God as human beings, we do the comparison and we think about God and we think about His eternality. We think about the fact that He's our refuge, our protection, our shelter. And then we lose sight of that God. And we lose sight of that God because we put our focus upon ourselves. And Moses says, I want to tell you about your own biography. And this is what he says, verse 3. You, you God, you Yahweh, you return man to dust. And say, return, O children of man. That's actually, O children of Adam, Avam. Because Avam means man, mankind. Return, O children of Adam, for a thousand years in your sight, Moses says about God, are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying, that when it comes to time itself, and this psalm, this psalm is all about time. This psalm is all about time. Time is mentioned there. Time is mentioned at the end of verse 9. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Verse 10, our life is either like 70 years old or due to strength, about 80, but our span... And then we are gone. You see, that's all about time. Verse 12, number our days. That's about time. Verse 15, for as many days. Verse 15, for as many years. You see, it's all about time. Folks, it's time. And what Moses is doing is telling the children of Israel that if you think you're going to go in the land that is plentiful with milk and honey and forget about God, you can't. You can't. Our world does. We can't as the church. We can't at all. Because the biography about us, about human beings, it's not pretty. And even with regard to time, he says here in verse 4, with regard to time and the computation of time in God's mind and in our mind is vastly different, eternally different. For a thousand years in the sight of God is but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You know what a watch in the night is? Three hours. Three hours in the night watches. A thousand years to the Lord is like three hours last night. A thousand years. And I know it. I hear it. I hear people... I hear the the scoffers out there, and you hear them too, and they say, where is the promise of His coming? Right? 2 Peter 3. Oh, everything happens as it always does. Where is the Lord? Where is this one that you say is our refuge? You mean refuge when there's a sniper? Uh, You mean a, a dwelling place? When there's a fire in New York City, set by a little boy in a stove and 12 people are dead? Is that our dwelling place? You mean when all these innocent children are malnourished and they they die with their distended bellies? You mean to tell me that He's our dwelling place? You mean this is the God that you serve? No, I don't have any time for Him. I I don't have any time for that. Because my sense, sinful man, depraved man, my sense of things is that if God were as you say He is, He would never let any of that kind of thing happen. And if He did, He wouldn't be wise enough to figure out how to stop it forever. And if He did have wisdom to stop it forever, and it's not 
being stopped, then he apparently doesn't have the power to do anything about it. That's what the world thinks. We know that. And Moses is telling those children of Israel, you need to figure out that time for God is not what you think. For him, a thousand years in his sight is but yesterday. It's just what happened last night and the night watches. Here's our God, verse 5. You sweep them away as with a flood. Who? The children of man. And then he gives three illustrations of the idea of God's judgment. That's what the idea of sweeping them away as with a flood means. They are like a dream or they are like sleep. And you know what sleep is meant to be here? The idea of our weakness. God never sleeps, never slumbers. And since He never sleeps nor slumbers, and when we have to go to sleep, there's not a person in this room. It could be, it could be tonight, and it probably is for the vast majority of us, but it certainly will be even for someone who tries to stay up all night tonight, and some might. And then they might try to stay up the second night. And then maybe by the third night or the fourth night, they are hallucinating. Why? Because as creatures, as human beings, as sinners, we have to have sleep. God does not. He never sleeps nor slumbers. And so He uses that as a way of saying that mankind, sinful human beings, they're like, they're like sleep. They are so weak and don't even realize it. And then the second illustration, the middle of verse 5, like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes, and in the evening it fades and withers. Just like the grass. I mean, it comes up so pretty, and the moisture of the dew of the morning allows it to grow at least for a little while, and then it fades away, it withers. Why? This is, this is humanity. This is life. And Moses is saying, it's time to figure out what life is. Life is like the judgment of a flood. It means it's overwhelming. It means it rushes over you. You can't do anything. When the flood is upon you, it washes you away and you're no more. And you're like sleep. You're weak and you're frail. And you're like the grass. It fades and withers. You know what Moses is really saying? Just because you're an Israelite by birth, don't think you're in the promised land because of your birth. Because you were born into it. Not everybody who is of Israel is really true Israel. What you have to do is realize that Moses is preaching here. He's preaching evangelistically. He's sitting there telling his people there on the brow of that hill just as they enter the promised land, don't get cocky. Don't get so self-assured that you think that just because you're one of the children of Israel that you're in the kingdom. You're in the promised land. You've got all kinds of milk and honey. You can just be footloose and fancy free. Some of them, some of them were obedient to God. And those that are not, he's warning them. He's warning them. Verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Verse 9. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. This almost sounds like a funeral dirge, doesn't it? This is, this is a, a kind of evangelistic message from Moses that he's warning the children of Israel. You, you think you've got all of the fanfare of going into the promised land, all the covenants of promise that God has given you, that you're going to be in this land of flowing with milk and honey, and that you're going to be on easy street? I want you to know that if you're not spiritually intimate with 
Yahweh God, if you don't know Him by faith, if you don't have a living, dynamic relationship with Him, then I'm telling you, He will set your iniquities before you, your secret sins in the light of His presence, and your days will pass under His wrath, and your end will be like a sigh. You know what a sigh is? Here it is. I mean, that was pretty quick. And that's what it is. That's what it is for the world. That's what it is for unbelievers. That's what it is for those who don't know Jesus Christ. This is, this is the biography of their life. They get washed away ultimately in a flood. They're like a grass that seems to, to flourish for a while and then it fades and withers. Uh, they're like somebody who's so weak that he's got to go to sleep. And God is angry and dismayed and wrathful and will bring our years to an end just like that. It's gone. And then if someone doesn't quite get it just yet, verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80 and yet their span. Do you see the word span there? Look at the marginal note there. If you've got a little footnote in the ESV, what does it say at the bottom? Pride. For their or yet their pride, their whole life is nothing but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Moses says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of God? Who does that? Who considers his wrath? Here's the rhetorical question. Nobody. We don't. We just skip about. We just go on our merry way. We just hope everything's okay in the end. We just want to live just like we want to live. And then we hope that right at the end, I get religion. Right at the end, somebody will be merciful. That right on the portals of death, something will allow me to see the assuaging of the power of his anger, the force of his wrath, and that we'll finally come to grips with the fear of God. That's the first 11 verses. No wonder Moses is saying, it's time for God. It's time for you to consider God. If you're here today, and you haven't been with us before, and you don't really understand expository preaching or the teaching of a hard message, you got one this morning. Because these first 11 verses from the Word of God, from God's mouth to Moses' pen to our ears, here is the truth. It's time for you to consider God. It's time. You've got to consider Him. If He's this God who, who is held out to you as a dwelling place, as a refuge, as a place of protection, a place of safety from anger, from wrath, because you fear Him, that is, you revere Him, you find Him in utter amazement. He's this eternal God and you want to know Him. You want to be intimate with Him. You want to see a dynamic relationship begin between you and Him. Then it's time to consider before your last breath. Because your last breath is just a sigh. It's like the watch of the night. And before the flood comes... And before the weakness of the sleep dawns on you, and before this grass flourishes and then withers away, you got to know it's time. It's time for God. And then in one verse, verse 12, here's the second time. Here's also what it's time for it's time for ourselves, it's time for God. And now it's time for ourselves. Look at verse 12. There's just one verse. Just one verse about ourselves. That's probably fairly appropriate, right? 11 verses for God. One verse for ourselves. And here it is. As a result of these 11 verses, Moses says, So, 
Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Yes, I should think so. If we're fearing God, if we love Him, if we honor Him, if we want to be obedient to Him, if we want to recognize not only His presence, but His eternality and His protective power, His being this generous dwelling place for us, then I should say that we need to to conjure up the time for ourselves to do this thing. What thing? Number your days. And maybe the word number is not even the best. Maybe it's something like this. Maximize your days. Maximize your days. Oh, how we fritter away time. But it's, it's time, my friends. It's time. It's time to maximize your days. Even Jesus Himself said that you should not worry about tomorrow for today has enough trouble of its own. Your life can change in a moment. From December 1st to December 2nd, your life could change in the twinkling of an eye. In many ways. It's what we could call the fragility of life. Life is so fragile. It's here today. Gone tomorrow. So no wonder Moses is telling these millions of people, literally these millions of people, men, women, and children, number your days. Maximize your days. Find out what your days are supposed to be all about. Why? Why, Moses? So that, for the purpose that, we may get a heart of wisdom. God's wisdom. We gotta, we gotta soak up all of the wisdom that God has for us from His Holy Word. And you see the word get there? That we may get a heart of wisdom? That word get, a little bit benign if you ask me, it's actually a word, a Hebrew term, that's used in a couple of other places that's translated bring in. Bring in. And it's the idea of a farmer bringing in the harvest at the right time. So maybe we could translate it like this. So teach us to maximize our days so that we may harvest a heart of wisdom. Anybody looking for the harvest of wisdom? That means you got to plant it. you got to cultivate it. And you got to wait for the day until you get it. Until it's brought in. Now some of us, like King Solomon, was given the opportunity to ask God for something for which it was immediately granted. And what did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. And was it granted? Yes, it was. Was he always wise? No, he wasn't. But he was wiser than anybody else. And you look at the book of Proverbs and you see all the wisdom there. And if you and I are seeing that it's the right time in 2018, it better be the time for ourselves to harvest the rich supply of wisdom that God has for us. That may mean that for some of you, maybe even a good number of you, you need to be voracious in your meditation of the Word of God in 2018 like never before. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know what time it is. It could be the end of your time. It could be nearing the end of your time. And if your time is like a a sigh, if, if it's like a breath, if it's like what David says in Psalm 39. This is what 
This is what David says about himself. Moses says what he says in Psalm 90. Here's what David says about himself in Psalm 39. He says, verse 4, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. It's a hand breath. You know what a hand breath is? Here it is. <sighs> that was it. That's the idea of the Hebrew concept of a hand breath. It's, it's, it's here and then it's gone. He says it in verse 5. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. And then that little word, selah, which probably means pause and think about that. Pause and think about that. Interlude. Musical interlude. Pause. And then when you think about it, because it's time, right? It's time to think about yourself. It's time to think about ourselves. And as we think about ourselves, we have to think about ourselves like Moses does, like David does. We're really a mere breadth in the grand scheme of things. Verse 6, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. We accumulate, we accumulate, we accumulate. And then we die, and we can't spend our money on ourselves. Because we're gone. It's a hand breath. It's a sigh. It's a vapor. It's a mist. All all these uh, biblical metaphors that tell us all it's time. Time's going away. There's an urgency in our living of the Christian life, right? Right? I feel it. I feel it in my heart. Don't you? I feel that that my own life is quickly, speedily ebbing away from me. I want want to know the fullness of God's wisdom. I want to read and meditate upon such fullness so that I would be harvesting a full repertoire of God's wisdom to live life as it ought to be lived. This is is something the world knows nothing about. This is something that we hold dear. And he just says in one verse, it's time for you to think about yourself. You've got to magnify the number of days that you have and you may harvest a heart of wisdom. And then thirdly, and lastly, it's also time for something else. It's time for others. It's time for others. It's time for God. We've got to think about who God really is. He's the eternal God. He's the dwelling place. He's the one who judges those who dispute Him, deny Him, disobey Him. It's time to think about Him as who He really is. And it's time to think about yourself, how you can magnify your days, and how you can harvest a heart of wisdom. And it's time for others. Verse 13. Return, O Lord, Moses says. Return, O Lord. And then he says, how long? And then these very key words, have pity on your servants. Have pity. Your translation may say compassion. Have compassion on your servants. What's he doing? What's what's Moses doing here? Well, this this is Moses at his best. You know what he's doing right here? He's praying for them. He's praying for them. He's interceding for the children of Israel as they go on without Him. Because this idea of pity is used elsewhere or compassion and it's used in Exodus 32.12 and it's used in Deuteronomy 33 and it's that same phraseology that Moses did when he beseeched the Lord to relent of His anger. Lord, change your mind about your people. Relent. Don't snuff them out forever. And you know what Moses did? He he was between God and the people. He was their intercessor. 
He was their go-between. And that's what he's doing here. It's the same Hebrew concept. He's saying, Lord, as, as I contemplate my own mortality, as I recognize the righteousness of your judgment in that I would have otherwise wanted to go to the promised land, you have chosen that I not go as a just judgment of my sin. And now all of these millions will be going there and I'm fearful of them that they will not fear you as they should. And so I'm interceding as their advocate. Have pity on your servants. Have compassion on them. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Instead of seeing the morning as the foreboding morning in which the grass withers ultimately in the day, give us a good morning, the morning of steadfast love, your hesed, your, your love everlasting, your covenant love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. All our days. You see the contrast? I mean, folks, it's time. And somebody says, no, 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 no. There's always manana. There's always tomorrow. I get up every day just like I got up before. In fact, I feel better today than I felt yesterday. I've got all kinds of time. Don't young people think that? Young people think they've got their whole life in front of them. We've got all kinds of time. And Moses says, no, no, no. It's time for me to intercede for you, for others. You're praying for others, right? You're interceding for others. And they're interceding for you. It's time for God. It's time for yourself to maximize your days. And it's time to intercede for others. And that's what Moses is doing. What a great model he is here for us. He says in verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Or maybe your translation says, and this is probably better, for all of those days, those many days as you have humbled us. And for as many years as we have seen evil. We've been in bondage. Right before the 40 years of the wilderness wanderings, we were in Egypt for centuries, over 400 years. Lord, we've seen so much evil. Would you be kind to us? Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants, your work of grace, your work of love, and your glorious power to their children. I want to see, I want to see not only your work of steadfast love and graciousness and power, not only to me and my family, but to their family as well. Not to just my kids, but their kids as well. Verse 17, let the favor or let the beauty of the Lord our God, the sovereign one, be upon us. This is what we're interceding for each other. It's what we're praying for our church, right? This is, this is how we pray for each other. It's how we intercede before the Lord. Lord, let me be like Moses, an advocate on the part of of my brothers and sisters. Let me plead to the advocate, Jesus Christ. And let me ask Christ, who is the advocate, the intercessor, to give us the beauty of the sovereign one and that it would be upon us and that he would establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's great intercession. I mean, it's time, my friends. If you've been so selfish and self-centered and egotistical about your own pursuits and about your own stuff and about your own world and about the stuff that's before your nose and your nose only, then I would encourage you to reach out because it's time for others. It's time for others. It's time to pray for them, intercede for them. Oh, my friends. As we close, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is, this is incredibly important. You say, well, that's all kind of a Old Testament stuff. That was Moses. The old 120-year-old guy. Or how about Paul? Paul the aged, and yet Paul the new covenant preacher, And here's what he tells us, 
He tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, Ephesians 5.15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the what? The time. It's time, my friends. 2018 is upon us to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. This, this could be a New Testament interpretation of Psalm 90, right? And then he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Here's the will of the Lord. I pronounce it to you this morning. It's time. It's time for God. It's time to think rightly about Him. It's time for yourself. Maximize your days so that you can harvest wisdom, the wisdom of the Word of God. And it's time for others. Intercede for them. Pray for them. And they'll be praying for you. What a great time 2018 promises for us if God wills it so. I have this Latin phrase that I've read in more books than I care to mention. Deo valente. Latin phrase, Deo valente. That should be a new phrase for all of us. We should just say to each other, look, if the Lord wills, that's what that means, Deo, God, valente, willing, volition. If God wills, we shall safely arrive in 2018. And when we do, we're thinking rightly about Him. We're thinking rightly about maximizing our view of Him and our view of ourselves so that we get a heart of wisdom and we will be interceding because it's time to pray for others. We advocate on their behalf, right? And they for us. It's 2018. Let's maximize our days. Let's harvest it for the wisdom from the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to, that, to do that which You've called us to do. It is time, Heavenly Father, it's time. No time to waste. It's time for you. Write thoughts about you, the eternal God. It's time. It's time to maximize our days so that we would harvest the wisdom that you have already given us and we possess it in our hands. It's the Word of God. And it's time to intercede like Moses for the people. It's time for us to pray for each other. And Deo Valente, we will come into 2018 and we will do these things because it's the right time. God, give us good days for your glory and honor, for the good of this church, and for the expanding of the kingdom of God around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.